welcome to our verse-by-verse -verse journey through Matthew, the first book of the New Testament. The Gospel of Matthew serves as a bridge between the Old Testament and the New Testament. In this Gospel, Matthew seeks to prove to the Jews that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. For those of us who aren't Jews, Matthew helps us to see our Savior King more clearly and through his gospel, learn to live well in his, in Christ's kingdom today. So grab a cup of coffee, open your Bible to the gospel of Matthew, and let's learn about our Savior King and his kingdom. Good morning, church. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16. We'll continue our series through the Gospel of Matthew. It's been a couple of weeks since we were in this series. We had uh, Christmas and then Pastor Brandon was here. If you missed that, unfortunately, for whatever reason, the live stream wasn't working. I understand it is working now, right? Has anybody acknowledged that it is actually working? Okay, good. So it is working. So those of you watching online, welcome. God bless you. So we're in Matthew 16. Actually, let's start with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we do come and we, we, we thank you, Lord God, for your grace, for your love. We thank you, Lord God, as we've taken this time to worship you with our voices. We now are going to take some time and worship you in the word. And we're going to, I pray, Lord, that each of us, all of us, including myself, would have our ears open to hear what you would say to us by your spirit. And Lord, as I, as I stand as your, as your spokesman this morning, as your messenger, I pray, Lord, that you would, Lord, that you would fill me with your presence, that I would not speak my words, but these would be your words, and that would be exactly what your people need to hear. And I pray, Lord, if there's anyone here who does not actually know you yet, doesn't know you, has not received you as their Lord and Savior, Lord, that you'd be doing a work in their heart right this very moment, that something in this message would minister to their hearts. And Lord, there's someone here who's struggling, having a difficult time, either with health or someone else's health, thinking of my mother-in-law. Um, Lord, I, I lift her up to you. Um, Lord, all of the, all the cares that we have in this world, um, financial issues, if you've got financial issues or relationship issues or whatever they might be, we, we come with all of that stuff and all of that stuff is real. All of that stuff can be very heavy and burdensome to us. And I pray, Lord, for this next brief time, 45, 50 minutes, that you would help us to lay it down and allow our hearts to be open to what you would say to us that we might experience your comfort, your peace, that we might have the hope, that we might, we might know your love in a new way. Lord, whatever it is you want to reveal to us today, Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would do it this very moment. I thank you for this time. I thank you for the privilege it is to, to open up your word and give to your people what your spirit wants to say. And we pray it all now in Jesus' name, amen. In the previous message... Jesus asked the disciples who they thought he was. And Peter responded by saying, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. It was a, this radical, powerful 
declaration that they believed that Jesus was, in fact, the long-promised Messiah. And so it was a powerful thing, and, and Jesus acknowledged that, that what Peter said was exactly what needed to be said in that moment, and he said that it's upon that proclamation, upon that truth, that his church would be built, and it's upon this truth that his church has been built, including this one. Then Jesus is going to begin, starting in this text, to start to tell the disciples what's coming. So we'll pick it up in verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. So Jesus was always headed to the cross. We were talking about this yesterday at the men's study. We were talking about the fact that that. You know, that from the foundation, before the creation of the world, Jesus knew what was going to happen. He was there with the Father. They talked about it. They worked it out. They figured out what was going to go on. It's one of those mysteries of, of the, the eternity of Godhead. It, it, just, it just has always been the plan. Jesus was always going to end up on that horrible Roman cross. That was the plan. And Jesus knew it. He always knew it. Disciples didn't. And so, so from this point on, we see Jesus starting to explain to the disciples what's coming. Now, the disciples had grown to the point, that's the 12, Peter and John and James and all of them, had, had grown in their faith to the point where they believed that he was the Messiah. But their understanding of who the Messiah is was based on what, the, what they had been taught. Right? Isn't that how we typically, our belief system is built upon what we've been taught, right? Amen. You know, if, 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 we under, if somebody has a wrong belief system, where do they get it? Somebody taught it to them. And the same thing is true if you have a right belief system. It's, you have that system because you were taught that. Well, the disciples had grown up with the Jewish religious system. And so they had this idea. And, and we see as we see Jesus interacting with the religious people of his time, how their, their view of who the Messiah was, was off. It wasn't, it wasn't correct. So it, it makes good sense the disciples didn't have an, the right idea of who Jesus, even though he's standing there right in front of them, and he's teaching, he's working the miracles, they still, their, their, their understanding of who the Messiah was, was based on all of their life experience. And so he's come, he's come to this time, where they've, they've gotten to the point, okay, where they believe he's the Messiah, now he needs to get their thinking correct on what that means, and what that looks like for the future. So Jesus came. He was known as a teacher. He was known as a miracle worker. But it was also God's will from the foundation of the world for him to take our sins to the cross. And somebody should say hallelujah for that. In Isaiah 53, one of those chapters in the Old Testament that so clearly teaches about Jesus as the Messiah. It doesn't name him specifically, but it, everything about it points to the reality that Jesus is the Messiah. 
in Isaiah 53, verses 4 through 6. Surely he has, he notice that he is capitalized, referring to the Messiah, has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Right from the foundation of time, God knew that he was going to have to put the sins of the whole world on his son, something that we can't really, we can't really imagine. One of the things I was, again, that's another thing we talked about yesterday in the men's study, that, that God is so gracious to us that you don't really feel the burden of your sin the way you could. If you felt the full weight of all of your sin, it would crush you. It would absolutely crush you. But God doesn't allow us to feel it. He gives us little pieces of it, enough to get us to, to repent, enough to get us to feel a sense of guilt and, and remorse and a sense of, okay, I need to fix that. But if we felt the full thing, Jesus felt all of your sin and your sin and your, he felt the full burden of all of the sin of all humanity. Wow. The only way for God to deal with the sin problem was to, was to pay for it with the, with the blood of his innocent son. For hundreds of years, the Jewish religious system, millions of innocent animals had to be sacrificed in Jerusalem to try to deal with the sin problem. Jesus is making this proclamation, I'm on my way to Jerusalem where I will die on that cross and I will solve the sin problem forever. Now, we still have to deal with sin, right? If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have to, sin is still a present reality. Hopefully not uh, this moment present reality, but you know, it is a present reality. But we don't have the we don't have the problem that sin causes in our relationship with God. That was taken care of. Now, now our relationship with God is pure, is clean, is right. Jesus was going to offer himself as the perfect sacrifice that takes away sin. And then for anyone who believes, that cleanses us from, from all of those things that separate us from God. And we should rejoice in that. The text says here that he's going to suffer many things. You know, suffering was part of God's plan of redemption for the world. And our suffering, I don't know if anybody, anybody, maybe none of you have ever suffered anything. Okay, that's not reality. We all do. Our, it does not compare to Christ. But it is a part of God's plan. And, and God will use it for his glory and for our good. Every true believer is going to experience some amount of suffering. I wish it weren't, weren't so, but it is. Peter says how we should handle it. In 1 Peter 2, 20, 21, it says this. When you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently. What? doesn't actually say that, does it? Yep. 
if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. We can, we can rejoice. We can look, God, I'm being patient in my suffering. Good job. I pat us on the head. Good job. For to this you were called. Whoa, wait a minute. Because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Suffering. Nobody wants to suffer, but it's a part of life. And Jesus telling his disciples plainly, I am headed to Jerusalem. There, the, the religious leaders of our, our nation are going to cause me to be killed, and on the third day, I'm going to rise again. He predicted not only his death, but his resurrection. It's interesting how they didn't get that. Even as, even as it happened, they were like, I mean, it's like they just didn't really figure it out until afterwards. Peter responds to Christ's announcement that he's going to die, proving that Peter doesn't understand God's plan. Verse 22. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. So a rebuke is an expression of disapproval. So Peter says, uh, No, that's not going to happen. Peter is basically saying, Jesus, God has a wonderful plan for your life, and it does not include suffering and dying. Do you ever wish your pastor would preach that sermon? Too bad. Not going to happen. Because it's not true. As, as, as teachers of God's Word, we should teach the truth, right? I can teach you a message that will make you feel good about yourself, but it won't help you. It's like, it's like eating ice cream. It might taste good, but it doesn't help you. Is that true? Is that really true? I'm not sure. I'm going to have to, I might have to research that one a little bit. You know, God doesn't think or act like a human. He doesn't think like we do. In Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, it says this, For my thoughts, God, the Lord speaking, are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. You don't think like God. God doesn't think like you. When we try to, we try to explain what's going on in the world and, and explain what God is doing based on the way that we think and the way that we act, we're never going to get that right because God doesn't think like us. It should be no surprise to us when God's plan for our lives is difficult to understand, hard to accept, or confuses us. That should not be a surprise. God, I don't know what's going on right here. I don't know why this is happening this way. And God says, yeah, I know, but I do. God knows. He understands it all. He understands all the pieces of it. He understands why people are doing dumb things. He understands all of it. We don't. And we should say, okay, okay, God, I get it. You get it. I don't. And I'm okay with that. That's hard. Anybody? Anybody know that's hard? Yeah, see? She even knows. (laughs) 
as we get to know God better, we learn to trust him more. We learn to trust him when we don't understand. We, don't, we learn to trust him when the things that are going on are confusing to us. We learn to trust him even though it doesn't make sense what's happening. We learn to trust him and say, okay, God, I don't get it, but you do. I trust you and I will accept this. Doesn't mean you like it. Doesn't mean you're happy about it. It just means you're willing to allow God's will to happen in your life. Well, Christ responds pretty strongly to Peter's rebuke, verse 23. He turned to him and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of men. Wow. Is Jesus calling Peter Satan? Why would he respond to him like this? Without thinking, which is pretty typical about how the way Peter speaks, Peter is tempting Jesus to skip the cross, to not go to the cross, which is exactly what Satan did with Jesus in the wilderness temptation. When we read about Jesus being led out in the wilderness, fasting for 40 days and being tempted by the devil, that's exactly what the devil was tempting him to do, to skip the cross, to establish the kingdom of heaven without the cross. Take the easy way, Jesus. Same thing Peter was doing. Peter's saying, take the easy way, Jesus. Don't do it the hard way. The temptation to skip Gethsemane and Golgotha and go directly to glory. There's one problem with that. There can be no glory without the cross. Jesus says that Peter's an offense to him. Jesus had just told them what God's will was. God in the flesh told them what God's will was, and Peter said, no, you can't do that. Be careful. We've got to be so careful not to try to tell God what's right and wrong. Peter was looking at things from a human perspective. From a human perspective, it made no, it made no sense for the Messiah to die on that cross. It made no sense for them. After all, didn't you come to establish the kingdom of heaven? How do you establish the kingdom of heaven and die? How does that work? This is the way the world thinks. The natural world thinks using, looking at the world from a human perspective, right? Does that, that, that makes sense, right? When we think of things, the only way we can think about it from, a natural, from the natural man is from a human perspective. Well, as believers, what do we have that's different than that? We have the Holy Spirit. That allows us to see things from God's viewpoint, but that's not automatic. When we, when we view things the natural man, the natural part of us, the human part of us always tries to insert itself into our understanding. It takes a deliberate act of the will to convince ourselves that there's something else going on besides just what my mind says is. It forces us to allow the Holy Spirit to minister, to speak, and to, and to influence our heart and mind to look at things from a different perspective, one that may not make sense from a human perspective. 
Jesus then goes on here and reminds us of something he's already said. And this is why we sometimes respond to the things of God the way that we do. In verse 24, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? And what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Deny yourself. That is exceedingly hard, impossibly hard for us as humans. Everything in us screams against it. When Jesus said, follow me, which he did many times, he wasn't telling us to follow the king of heaven. He wasn't telling us to follow the king of kings and lord of lords. That's the one we like. That's the one the Jews were looking for. They want that king. Jesus is telling us to follow the Christ who would suffer and die on a cross. That's the Jesus we're called to follow. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, fascinating guy. He's, he's written some amazing books. If you ever get a chance, look, at, look up Dietrich Bonhoeffer and some of his writings, really powerful stuff. He said this, when Christ calls a man or woman, he bids him come and die. That is so contrary to the way the world thinks. So opposite of the way our, our culture and our, and our social media and, and our music and entertainment, everything in our world is contrary to that concept. To take up your cross. Now, our cross can be almost anything in life, but one of the things that Jesus does is qualifies what you can call a cross in your life. It has to involve denying yourself. You know, a lot of us have hard things going on in our lives, and we allow them to be a miserable, horrible experience in our life, and we focus all of our attention on ourselves. Look how bad this is for me. My life is so horrible. Why doesn't she love me? Why doesn't he take, why doesn't he respect me? Why doesn't, you know, why doesn't she bring me any ice cream? I don't know. Maybe it's because you're, never mind, I'm not going to say what I'm thinking right now. <laughs> I was thinking about myself right now, not denying myself. Denying yourself is to refuse to put your needs or desires or wishes, or dreams, or hopes, or ambitions, or cares before the will of God. Refusing to. Now understand, that's what your flesh wants to do. Your flesh wants to put all of those things before the will of God. God, I will after I. And you'll say, when, when I do this, when I get that, when I'm, I, I'll, I'll do this when whatever. To deny yourself is to treat yourself as the very last person you think about. 
is to put your trust so fully into God's hands that you will respond to him, to his will, without thinking about what it means for you, without considering the consequences. God's will is X, and I respond to it without looking ahead to what it's going to cost me. That's hard. That's hard. Yeah, hey, hey, we're all human, right? Any, any non-humans here? Okay. We're all human. Okay, maybe. There's one in the back, but maybe. We often want to know what's in it for us, right? If I do this, what's in it for me? That's natural. That's human nature. But a person who denies themselves knows that's what, what is in it for them is Jesus. And that's enough. Nothing else matters. If it's God's will, then nothing else matters. I know what's in it. More of Jesus is in it. It will make me more like Jesus. It'll make me like Jesus in the way that I think or act or, or, or feel. And Jesus is saying there's, there's two choices here. You choose a crown or a cross. If you're going to go through this life the way God wants you to, you have to pick. Do you want the crown or do you want the cross? And Jesus is saying there is no option C. It's one of those two. Crown, cross, no C. Get it? Never mind. Crown... If you choose the crown, if you're trying to save your life, saying, I want me. I want my dreams. I want my cares. I want my wishes. I want my desires. You're choosing the crown. You're saying, I want, I want the good now. Then what's left? The cross. The suffering. The pain. The judgment. But if you choose the cross, to deny yourself Say, God, it doesn't matter what I get. Your will is all that matters. Now, here's something we got to keep in mind when we, when we think about that. You don't want to focus on this, but you want to keep this in mind because we're going to talk about it near the end of the message. God is not going to leave you. He's not going to take, take you down a path of barrenness. He wants you to live an abundant life. So even when we choose his will, we choose the way of the cross, we choose to deny ourselves, there's something in it for us, more of Jesus. You know what Jesus is? everything. God teaches us, calls us to walk the cross life. The Apostle Paul, if you want to look at somebody that lived the cross life, you look at the Apostle Paul, look at the way he lived his life. Denying himself. Losing his life for Christ's sake. He expressed what it, what it produced in him, the hope that it produced in him in 2 Timothy 4.8. Finally, this is the last thing that he wrote before he was, he was martyred for his faith. There is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not me only, but also all who have loved his appearing. Notice what he's saying. I, I've had a, Paul had a tough life. If you, if you study his life, he went through a lot for Christ. More than anybody else that we have recorded, you know, especially in the scriptures, he, he, he had to deal with a lot. And he says, hey, but I'm looking forward to something in the future. Yeah, all that cross stuff, all that suffering, all that denying myself, yes, but that's leading to a crown that never goes away, never tarnishes, can never be taken away from me. 
the cross comes before the crown. And if there is no cross, there can be no crown. And Jesus knows that, not just for himself, but for all of us as well. And then Jesus then tells them something to get them and us to take our eyes off of the present. Because don't we get focused on the present? You know, things get hard or things get good. Sometimes things get good. Don't we forget, hey, we got a, there's a future coming. Verse 27. For the Son of Man, which is Jesus' favorite description of himself, will come in the glory of his Father and with his angels, and then he will reward each according to his works. Throughout the Bible, we're told, we're promised that there is a reward for faithfulness to God. And, and it's possible that reward could come in this life, but, but it's absolutely guaranteed in the next life. But what this verse is telling us is Jesus is coming again. He just told them he's going to go and die in Jerusalem and then be raised the third day, but then he's going to come again. We know this as the second coming. We know what the second coming is, right? Jesus coming back and establishing his kingdom on this earth where he is the king of kings and lord of lords. That's why we don't follow the king of kings and lord of lords because he hasn't come back to establish that kingdom yet. Right now, we, we, we follow the Christ who died for our sins. He'll come back as the righteous judge and that he will reward He'll reward all of us for our faithful service. Now, we can't really know exactly what that is. And it is human nature for us to, to ask the question, what's in it for me? There are even places in the scripture where people ask that very question. So if I do this, what's in it for me, God? And the, this verse tells us there is something in it for us. It doesn't tell us what it is. I'm, I'm pretty sure there's a parking spot with, never mind. You know, get in my... As Christ followers, our rewards come with our crown. When we get the crown, that's when the rewards come. We don't get the crown. We may, we want, we're not going to get that crown in this life. It comes with the next. And until then, what should we do? We've got to make it all about Jesus and less and less about us. This idea of denying ourselves. Again, it, it goes against human nature. It goes against our culture. It causes us to think and act and speak in ways that are not natural to the world around us, but it is the way of Christ. And this chapter closes with a, a verse that's a little challenging to interpret. Verse 28. Assuredly, I say to you, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Now, there's, there's a whole bunch of different interpretations of this. I, I don't know how your Bibles are set up. In my Bible, they actually put this verse um, right, right in line with, verse, with chapter 17. So they connect it with the very next text, which is the text about the transfiguration. So that's the most, that's the most common interpretation of this verse when he says that some will not see death do not taste death when I experience death until they see the kingdom come. And, and he's referring to Peter, James, and John who will see the transfiguration coming in the very next text. But that's for next time. Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus is the king of kings and lord of lords. He is that. 
But that is not how we relate to him today. Today we relate to him as the crucified and resurrected Christ. In the future, we'll, we'll relate to him as the King of kings and Lord of lords. But today, we, re, we relate to him in connection to and, re, and relating to the cross and the empty tomb. While we wait for the King of kings and Lord of lords to come again, we're called to live lives of self-control, of self-denial, of Christ-likeness. I mean, the, if you look at the life of Christ, he, he was God in the flesh. And yet he didn't, he didn't, he didn't, he didn't demand the rights that his nature demanded. Three things about being a Christ follower before the worship team comes back up in a couple of minutes, shortly, in a minute or two. First, lift Christ up higher. If you want to be a Christ follower, the very first thing you've got to keep in your mind, it's all about Jesus. Everything about life is about Jesus. And so we have to lift him up higher. But to lift him up higher, we must know who he is. And so we study God's word. We study these things. We read and we study. We make them real in our hearts. We choose to believe these things. Even if we don't understand them, we choose to believe them. And when possible, we, we walk in faith and obedience in these things. As we do that, it's going to cause us, and, and you've heard me say this a lot, it should cause us to be filled with awe and wonder. If you think about who Jesus is, Jesus step down out of the perfection of heaven and then, and then took on human flesh, which is, in case you're wondering, is way less than being God, and walked among us, walked among people who were imperfect, grossly imperfect, and, and in some cases cruel and, and abusive And he did all that so that we could relate to him. And then he took that flesh and he took it to the cross for people who hated him, for people who despise him, for people who fight against him. And he did that for us. He did that for you. He did it for me. Yeah, the, that should fill us with awe and wonder why would you do that? And the answer is always the same. He said, because I love you. Amen. You know, it, it, it got turned into a bumper sticker a long time ago. You know, Jesus loves you, right? You know, does Jesus love you? Yep. How much do you know? You know it because he's, he, he died for you. You know, when you, when you come to those texts where it says that Jesus died on the cross for you ought to put in the margins of your Bible for me. Write your name there. The better we know Jesus, the easier it is for us to lift him up in our hearts. And that's where we need to start. We need to lift him up in our hearts. We need to lift Jesus higher and higher and higher. How high is Jesus? Well, he's God. Well, how do, how do we think about him in our heart? 
Do we think of him in our hearts the same way that the Bible teaches about him? And that's part of how we lift him up. We lift him up higher and higher in our hearts where we recognize in our hearts and minds the truth and the reality of who Christ is so that when we think about him, when we pause and reflect, as Larry was talking about, when a thought, some thought comes into our mind, there's, there's this reality where we focus and we allow the truth of who Jesus is, who God is in our minds, just fill our minds with awe and wonder. Wow, you're God, you created everything that we know and see, and yet you came into your own creation so that you could deal with my sin. That should fill us with wonder. Now, as we do that, the second thing, we need to lift Jesus up and we need to deny ourselves more. And, and that's hard. I mean, this, I'll, I'll, this, let's be real. Denying yourself is very, very hard because you are the very first person you think of about most things. Anytime something happens, anytime a thought, anytime a question, anytime an issue, anytime a challenge comes up, you are the first person you think about. Oh, no, I'm not, Pastor. Okay, yeah, right. You're, you're more special than I am. But we have to start catching ourselves and admit it. This is reality. This is the way we are. When something happens, I'm thinking about what it means to me first. And we have to pause and say, wait, how do I deny myself in this? What if it doesn't matter what happens to me? What if it's all about Jesus? What if it's all about them or whatever the situation is? Catch yourself and help and start working on that process moment by moment, thought by thought. Take every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and ask God to help you. How do I deny myself in this? How do I put myself last in this? It's not natural. You're going to have to choose to do it. Third, third, lift others up to Jesus. If I am lifting up Jesus and I'm denying myself, there ought to be this natural progression where I have this, I, I start to, as I do that, I start to sense more and more of the reality of who God is, who Christ is, what he's done for me, and it fills my heart with more and more wonder as I do that. Then there's a point where I must look out and say, someone else needs to be lifted up. Now, it could be other believers, lifting other believers up. We do that through encouragement. We do that through exhortation. We do that through discipleship. Any way that we can, we lift others up. Others just might need to meet Jesus. You know, for whatever what's going on in their lives, they just need a word from the Lord. And maybe you're the person to give it to them. Maybe they, maybe they just need just, just a tiny bit of hope. You know, Jesus didn't come just to save you. He did come to save you, but not just you. And once we're saved, once we start recognizing the truth of who Jesus is, once we start putting ourselves in that rightful place, we start living the cross light, we start living that Christ-like life, as we start to do that, we start to recognize there's other people that need Jesus more than I do right now. And because I'm denying myself, I want that. I want others to know him. That's why we're still here. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're still here because God is not done with you and he wants you to be a part of his work in this kingdom. 
Lift, lift your heart up to Jesus. Make him bigger and bigger in your heart. Start learning to deny yourself moment by moment, catching those thoughts and saying, why am I thinking about myself here? Why does this bother me? And how do I deal with it so that I can, so that I can, I can be like Christ in this moment? And then how do I lift others up to him? Maybe just one. Maybe there's one person in this world that needs to hear from the Lord from you. Should we be willing to say just one more thing, one more expression of love, one more expression of hope, one more expression of peace, one more expression of truth, and let them know that there is hope in this world. There is love. Let's pray. We'll ask the Holy Spirit to help us lift up Jesus. Heavenly Father, we do come and thank you for this time and your presence here. We ask, as we have looked at your word, and, we've, and Jesus tells us very plainly that he is going to go to the cross, and we'll eventually get to that text in, this, in the study of Matthew. But right now we know that, that it happened, that there is no question in our hearts and minds that Jesus died. But he didn't just die. He died very deliberately and very specifically to accomplish something that was, was utterly impossible. And for hundreds of years, the Jews had been trying to deal with their sin through the sacrificial system. And it didn't, it didn't take away their sins. Because that's why they kept coming and kept coming and kept coming. But then you, Jesus, you came one time and you died for all. So that because of that sacrifice, because of that death, that we could be free from the, from the penalty of sin, from the power of sin, and someday have the hope of being free from even the presence of sin. And so we, we're here this morning and we recognize that what you did, you did for us. And we thank you, Jesus, that you did, in fact, die. We're also thankful that you rose again on the third day which is evidence that, and proof that, one, your sacrifice was accepted by God, but also that we will be raised someday should we leave before you get back. And so we pray, Lord, that you would instill in our heart a wonder over what you did for us, recognizing that it was a very personal thing you did for each one of us. And I ask, Lord God, that you would minister to each of our hearts. You would help us to have that, that, that growing sense of awe and wonder at who you are. And that, Lord, we, we would do that seemingly impossible work of denying ourselves. But, Lord, we know it's not impossible because we have God, the Holy Spirit, living in us. And we thank you for him. But we need help, God, with that. All of us do. All of us need help to deny ourselves, to think of ourselves less, and to think about you and to think about others before ourselves. And so I pray you would help us to do that. And Lord, if there's someone here who has, has never started a relationship with you or maybe they've been lukewarm in their relationship with you or, or they're not sure where they are with you, Lord, speak to their hearts right this very moment that they would know that you love them, God, and that Jesus died for their sins. All of those things they did in their own will, in their own desire, in their own wishes, all those things they did, whether they knew they were wrong or not, Lord, you can make them free 
And they do that by receiving you, by accepting your sacrifice as, as a sacrifice for them individually. And so I pray, Lord, do a, do a work in their hearts right this moment. And Lord, as we prepare to depart this place, I pray, Lord, that you would just minister to those who are dealing with difficult things, that you would encourage those who are discouraged, that you would strengthen those who are weak, that you would, you would, you would help those who are grieving and mourning and sad and, and, and whatever, whatever they're feeling right now, that you would give them what only you can. And I pray, Lord, for all of us, Lord, that we would be sensitive to the needs of others around us, that, that denying of ourselves to think about others. I pray that you'd help us to do it, that we would love one another with the kind of love that you poured into our hearts, God, for that very purpose, that you would allow us to be the family you created us to be. You would help us to do that. You would encourage us to do it. And that, Lord, that we would take this time so that others would know you better. We thank you, Lord, for all that you are. And we ask, Lord God, that you would be with us as we leave. And we pray it now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we learn more about our Savior King and His Kingdom in the Gospel of Matthew. It is our hope that these messages will help you grow in your faith. If you have any questions or there is anything we can do to help you with that, please do not hesitate to connect with us. Go to calvaryfv.com connect to find all the ways that you can connect with us. As Christians, we are all connected in Christ. One of the ways we would like to engage with you is in the area of prayer. Please let us know how we can be praying for you. Send us an email to prayer at calvaryfv.com or text the word PRAY to 951-419-5396. If this material has been useful to you, please share it with someone. Also, please pray that God would use these messages to help others find hope in Jesus Christ. You can also partner with us financially by going to calvaryfv.com give or text the word GIVE to 951-419-5396. Until next time, go be radical with Jesus.